This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to in this podcast are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud 10 Media. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I recommend stopping here and listening to the earlier episodes first. A lot has happened in this story, so it's best to start listening from the beginning. In the last episode, episode 5, we went over all of the loans, merchant agreements, and investments that Mary Carol McDonald was able to get her hands on beginning in 2007 and stretching through 2018. The money she raked in through what appears to be Ponzi schemes, whether from unsuspecting banks or from her own friends and colleagues, totaled over $44 million. And that's just the money we know about from lawsuits and UCC filings. I can only imagine how many other victims of Mary Carroll's scams exist out there. Because if there's one thing I've learned about Mary Carroll, it's that if she wanted money, she'd find a way to get it. She didn't care about the consequences or who she hurt in the process. Some people have described Mary Carroll as tenacious, and I'd have to agree with that from what we've learned about her. She wasn't one to give up on a target simply because they said no to her. Mary Carroll would keep hounding people, begging, pushing, until she got what she wanted. The start of her big-time money-grabbing seemed to begin a few years after she started her first production company in 2004, Midori Entertainment, which was quickly followed by Longneedle Entertainment in 2005. These were not her first LLCs, and they certainly would not be her last. By 2018, Mary Carroll had established just under 30 LLCs, including Bellum Entertainment. These companies could have been created for legitimate business reasons, but it seems much more likely that they were formed in order to move money around and to be throwaway companies in the event she stopped paying someone. If things got too hot with one LLC, she'd stop doing business under that name and create another one. Brian Testa, a former Bellum employee, thinks Mary Carroll could have been running a kind of Ponzi scheme with these companies. He believes that Mary Carroll would establish an LLC attached to a specific TV show, make a deal with a company to produce a certain number of shows, get paid for those shows, and then not actually deliver any product, or maybe only part of a project. Then, she'd just cancel or leave that LLC and start a new one, and repeat that cycle over and over. Whatever the reason was for all of the LLCs, Mary Carroll's companies did produce a lot of TV shows. She even made several distribution and syndication deals, which should have equaled profits. But somehow, the company was in financial ruin. Even with all the money that Mary Carroll brought in from loans and investments, she still had trouble paying her bills. From computer and office services to post-production companies and distribution partners, Mary Carroll was stiffing all of them. But 
the phony heiress still managed to keep up appearances with her lavish boat, her Porsche, and several substantial houses. In 2016, things really started to fall apart when Bellum employees began filing claims with the Labor Department over non-payment of wages and misclassification as independent contractors instead of employees. By the end of 2017, Bellum completely imploded after CBS Channel News did an investigative journalism piece on Mary Carroll and Bellum Entertainment. They exposed her shady business practices, a pending lawsuit, and an arbitration judgment against her for over $3 million. Shockingly, even with that negative publicity, Mary Carroll was still able to pull off a $15 million scam against Bank of California in 2018, with her lawyer, Barry Rothman, right by her side throughout the process. Then she disappeared, allegedly to Dubai on business. Except for a few emails and responses in court documents, the phony heiress has not been heard from since. So what recourse has there been for all of the people and institutions that Mary Carroll has scammed into loaning her money or investing in her fake family trust? Two thousand seventeen marked the first year of lawsuits against her. That year, at least twenty civil lawsuits were filed against Mary Carroll and Bellum Entertainment, ranging from employees seeking unpaid wages to banks trying to recoup their millions. Every year since, more and more lawsuits have been filed, over fifty in total. But Mary Carroll has never appeared in person on any of these cases. Some of the lawsuits also include the former CFO of Bellum Entertainment, Karen Garber, the former Bellum Vice President, Peter McDonnell, and Mary Carroll's two sons, Sean and Mackenzie Carroll, as defendants. And all of them, except Mary Carroll, have appeared in court to answer for what's transpired. Whether guilty or not, Karen Garber, Peter McDonnell, and Sean and Mackenzie Carroll have all been left holding the bag, while Mary Carroll is presumably off living her best life, flush with cash. Something I've often wondered about is how this story would have unfolded if Barry Rothman had not died. I imagine the FBI would have questioned him at some point to confirm whether he was actually involved in the Bank of California scam. Would he have implicated Mary Carroll? And could he have led authorities to her location? What would Barry have said in court, assuming he would have appeared? It sucks that we'll never know because he died right after Mary Carroll got the money. And although we've learned that Mary Carroll is capable of some truly awful things, and I even said that nothing could surprise me about her anymore, my jaw hit the floor when I discovered that Mary Carroll allegedly forged her own son's names on loan documents and confessions, making them liable for fraud.
From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season one, I'm taking you along as I look into Mary Carol McDonald, a self-proclaimed heiress who seemed to have it all, money, a successful business, expensive homes and cars, but all the lies, including the one about her being an heiress, were eventually exposed in a major way, bringing down her television production empire. But that was not the end of the story. This is episode six, Let the Lawsuits Begin. It appears the first lawsuit filed against Mary Carroll was the one that CBS Channel 2 referred to in their segment on Mary Carroll and Bellum Entertainment, which aired in September of 2017. Pacific Business Capital Corporation filed their lawsuit against Mary Carroll on May 12th of 2017. For reference, that's about nine months before she got $15 million from Bank of California. The PBCC lawsuit also named Mary Carroll's sons, Sean and Mackenzie Carroll, as co-defendants. PBCC filed for breach of contract, fraud, and deed of foreclosure, among other things. They sought at least $3.7 million, the exact amount to be determined at trial, which covered the principal amount of the loan, plus interest, which was still accruing every day. PBCC had loaned Mary Carroll $2.75 million, beginning on December 18th of 2014, after being swayed by the Shepard Mullen letter, which supported Mary Carroll's claims of being an heiress to a vast family fortune. In addition, that letter claimed that no other information about the McDonald Family Trust could be divulged due to a court order put into place by Mary Carroll's father after the kidnap and murder of Mary Carroll's sister, Holly, when she was 11 years old. All of which was total bullshit. Once Mary Carroll defaulted on the PBCC loan, they filed their lawsuit against her, Longneedle Entertainment as guarantor, and against Sean and Mackenzie Carroll. PBCC also sought to foreclose on the Sugarloaf property and sell it off in order to make up for part of their loss. As part of the loan agreement, PBCC was given a security interest in certain intangibles as collateral in the event that Mary Carroll defaulted on the loan. One of those intangibles was an escrow account that Mary Carroll listed as an asset on her personal financial statement. The escrow account arose out of the sale of a certain real property owned by Mary Carroll, known as the Manzanita Cottages. In episode two, we talked about how Mary Carroll became a member of Manzanita Properties, a vacation rental company, in December of 2014. A month later, the company folded. It was PBCC's contention that Mary Carroll transferred the $1.25 million in the escrow account to her sons, Sean and Mackenzie Carroll, without telling the bank. When PBCC demanded the money from Sean and Mackenzie, They refused to give it, citing the fact that the money belonged to them and not their mother. PBCC sued Sean and Mackenzie in an attempt to recoup some of the cash. 
they probably realized that Mary Carroll would never pay them a dime and jumped at the chance to get the money while they still could. Eventually, PBCC dropped the portion of their lawsuit against Sean and Mackenzie. It was dismissed with prejudice on February 18th of 2021, meaning that PBCC could not refile the case ever again. When all was said and done, PBCC's case against Mary Carroll was sent to arbitration, which was an option included as part of the loan agreements. On September 27, 2019, the final arbitration award was handed down. A judge found that Mary Carroll, as an individual and as trustee of the Mary Carroll McDonald Trust, as well as Longneedle Entertainment, were all jointly and severally liable to PBCC in an amount just under $6.8 million. This included interest up to that date and attorney fees for breach of contract, breach of guarantee, and fraud. There was no opposition to the award by the defense. By that time, Mary Carroll had disappeared and never showed up during the trial. It doesn't appear that Mary Carroll has made any payments to PBCC since they won that award. Shocker. Chris Chatham filed his lawsuit against Mary Carroll shortly after PBCC on June 1st of 2017. He'd made significant investments into Mary Carroll's family gifting program and was stiffed on payments since 2016, which caused him to lose a loan for a commercial property. Chris took his case to arbitration and received an award of about $3.2 million in August of 2017. On August 1st of 2018, Chris filed a lawsuit against Sean and Mackenzie Carroll, Karen Garber, and Jeffrey Nillis, Mary Carroll's husband, in an attempt to recover some of what he was owed. By that time, with interest, the amount was over $4 million. Chris claimed that Mary Carroll sent funds to each of the defendants after his arbitration judgment was handed down. According to him, those funds belonged to him. According to the filed complaint, Sean, Mackenzie, Karen, and Jeffrey said that they did get some money from Mary Carroll, but it was payment for an undocumented loan, and they refused to voluntarily give up the money. A year later, the lawsuit was dismissed without prejudice, meaning the lawsuit could be refiled at a later date, but so far, Chris has not refiled. There have been dozens of lawsuits filed by former employees of Bellum Entertainment, as well as companies who contracted with Bellum. Most of these complaints arose out of issues brought to the Department of Labor about employees not being paid and being classified improperly. The lawsuits started in 2017 and are continuing to be filed today. One case that's currently in trial was filed on September 1st of 2017 by Teddy Cannon and Christopher Ponal. Cannon had been a producer and Ponal a video editor for Bellum. 
and both men started working for the company in 2016. They're seeking damages for failure to pay wages and overtime, and failure to provide breaks, which started happening in May of 2017. Cannon sought at least $465,920, and Ponal at least $135,310. The defendants were listed as Mary Carol McDonnell, Bellum Entertainment, and Karen Garber. A month later, Mary Carol and her attorney denied Cannon and Ponal's claims and stated that the court did not have jurisdiction because there was an arbitration clause. So, the case was suspended pending arbitration. Part of the clause stated that Mary Carroll would be responsible for the arbitration fees. On August 16th of 2018, the matter was sent to arbitration, but the proceedings could not begin until Mary Carroll paid the fees. After stringing along the American Arbitration Association for an entire year, and never paying the fees, the arbitration process was suspended. On September 20th of 2019, the arbitration was closed completely due to non-payment by Mary Carroll. What a clusterfuck, and one that seems intentional on the part of Mary Carroll, because it seems clear that this was just a tactic to stall the entire legal process, and it worked. The case has since been reopened in Superior Court, with the most recent testimonies being given by Karen Garber, as recently as three weeks ago. Garber and her attorney have been attempting to prove that she can't be held liable for any financial wrongdoings because she was not an officer of Bellum and didn't have any real powers that someone with the title of CFO would normally have. As of the current date, the trial has been paused and set to continue in August of this year. At issue, right before the court proceedings were paused, was whether or not Karen Garber should be held personally liable for any employment-related damages. It'll be interesting to see if the court takes any other judgments into account in their final decision on that matter, because Karen Garber has been held liable in other cases. Don't go anywhere, because after this break, it's judgment day for the heiress. And by judgment, I mean Mary Carroll's about to get slapped with numerous lawsuits. And by heiress, I mean pretender, imitator, faker, phony, fraud. You get the picture. My dad is a special guy. He's cool, funny, and such a talented artist. Which reminds me of when my sister and I used to bring home our school pictures and show them to him. He'd proudly put our picture in his wallet, and then he'd pull out a Sharpie and start drawing a mustache on our face and devil horns on our heads. We'd burst into tears, only for him to show us that he was only drawing on the plastic our picture was inside of, not the actual picture. Ah, the torturous memories of my childhood. But seriously, my dad is the best, and he deserves a really thoughtful gift for Father's Day. StoryWorth is something he will absolutely love. It's an online service that emails your father figure a thought-provoking question to answer each week. 
One week, the question might be, what's one of your fondest childhood memories? The next week, the question might be, why'd you torture your kids for shits and giggles? Okay, I'm kidding about that one. After a year, StoryWorth compiles all of the stories developed out of your father figure answering questions, and they put it all into a really nice keepsake book that includes pictures. Give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash dirty money. That's S-T-O-R-Y W-O-R-T-H dot com slash dirty money to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash dirty money. One of the cases brought against Mary Carroll involves Romina Ray, who was a video editor at Bellum from April to July of 2017. She was promised a pay rate of $3,500 per episode. However, she was not paid for most of her work. Romina filed a claim with the Labor Commissioner's Office on September 21, 2017. The hearing was held on June 4, 2019, in the commissioner's offices. Mary Carroll's attorney, Gordon J. Zuderweg, a former lawyer at the law offices of Barry K. Rothman, appeared on her behalf. Because, of course, Mary Carroll wasn't about to show up in court and potentially be arrested. Remember, by this time, the United States Attorney's Office had indicted Mary Carroll on charges of fraud and identity theft. Also appearing at Romina Ray's hearing was Peter McDonnell, Karen Garber, and Gloria Martin, a former Bellum employee in accounts payable. Martin testified on behalf of Peter and Garber. During her testimony, Romina claimed that she'd been issued a paycheck on May 9th, but it was returned for insufficient funds. The paycheck wasn't replaced until two weeks later on May 24th. No other payments were made to Romina. Peter McDonald testified that he didn't have access to any financial aspects of Bellum, and he didn't have authority to sign or issue checks. In fact, he said he was also owed money by Bellum for unpaid wages. Peter also testified that he believed Mary Carroll was lying to everyone about Bellum's financial status when she said that Bellum was about to close on a line of credit. In fact, Mary Carroll had not been giving regular payment updates during that time. The door to her office remained closed while all of this was going on. She was apparently avoiding everyone. Peter went on to say that Mary Carroll often talked positively about Bellum's finances and its future, which most definitely influenced employees' decisions to stay with the company, including Peter's own decision. In July of 2017, Peter McDonald finally quit the company. Gloria Martin testified that she worked in accounts payable for Bellum from November of 2016 through September of 2018 under Karen Garber. Her whole testimony was basically that only Mary Carroll could approve and issue payments. 
even if Karen Garber signed checks. It was only after Mary Carroll approved it. Garber objected to even being listed as a defendant on the claim. She claimed that she was only an employee of Bellum. She was never an owner or an officer, even though she was called the chief financial officer. Garber claimed that Mary Carroll controlled all aspects of the money coming in and out of the company. As far as her duties, Garber claimed she only maintained the general ledger and worked with outside auditors. She claimed her title of CFO lacked the actual authority that the title implied because it was Mary Carroll who controlled the finances. Garber also claimed that she was owed thousands of dollars by Bellum for work she performed. Mary Carroll's attorney argued that Romina was an independent contractor, not an employee, and as such was not protected by the California Labor Code. The labor commissioner disagreed. He found Romina to be credible and extremely detailed in her testimony and record keeping. He also ruled that she was an employee because Mary Carroll's attorney offered no proof that she wasn't. In fact, none of the defendants offered any evidence disputing Romina's claims of unpaid wages. They only passed the buck on who was responsible for it. Ultimately, the labor commissioner ruled that Romina Ray was owed just under $51,000. Peter McDonald was not found to be responsible for any portion of that amount. However, the labor commissioner found that Karen Garber had knowledge and understanding as to the financial status of Bellum, whether or not her title of CFO reflected any actual power. The act of Garber relaying Mary Carroll's lies about the positive status of Bellum's finances only served to encourage employees to keep working. Therefore, Garber's actions contributed to the violation of labor laws, which made her personally liable for about $25,000 of the total award. Mary Carroll was liable for the rest. The judgment was finalized on April 22, 2022, with a new total of just under $55,000, which included interest and filing fees, which increased Garber's portion to over $26,000. It's unclear if Karen Garber has made any payments. We know that Mary Carroll has not. Another case that received a high-dollar judgment against Mary Carroll involved former Bellum independent contractor Nigel Bellis, who was a writer, director, producer, and showrunner. In late 2016, he began working on a show filming in Louisiana. At that time, he and Peter McDonald discussed the possibility of Bellis moving to Los Angeles to supervise several true crime series for Bellum. After discussing the deal with Mary Carroll, Peter sent Bellis an email that detailed what the job duties would be, as well as his pay. Bellis was told that he would get $4,000 per week, plus a $2,000 quarterly bonus, a $4,000 moving stipend, a one-year employment term with the option to renew in six-month increments, and the title of executive producer or supervising executive producer on any series he supervised. That's a really nice deal, 
but it came at a time when Bellum was not paying a lot of people. So was Mary Carroll just throwing out numbers, trying to get talented employees to Bellum, knowing full well she was going to rip them off? Seems likely this was the case. Bellis ended up taking the job and reported to work at the Burbank offices on April 17, 2017. He was slated to be the supervising executive producer for Black Widow's I Married a Murderer, Motive to Murder, I Knew My Murderer, Killer Connection, Autopsy of a Murderer, and Murderers and Mistresses, Murder, Murder, and More Murder. Bellum paid Bellis his weekly invoices for April, May, and June, but failed to make payments beginning in July. Bellis continued working and invoicing Bellum on a bi-weekly basis, and by August 5th, he'd sent combined invoices totaling $21,000. At no time did Mary Carroll or anyone from Bellum dispute the amounts on the invoices. Shortly thereafter, production on all of Bellis's shows was stopped, and he was instructed not to come to work. He was never fired or laid off, he was simply told not to show up. As far as getting paid what he was owed for invoices, Mary Carroll gave varying excuses as to why Bellum could not pay him. Bellum was the victim of bank fraud, there were complications with getting a line of credit, or her own illness kept her from issuing a check. We know all of these excuses were bogus. There was no bank fraud, and Mary Carroll had gotten multiple lines of credit and various loans by that point that were supposedly to cover Bellum payroll. This was the exact time she was getting millions of dollars from reliable fast cash and investments from Kirk and Alice Cannoli. And as far as Mary Carroll being so sick that she couldn't authorize paychecks to be sent out, we haven't found anything in our research to support that claim. And look, when her longtime friend and lawyer, Barry Rothman, died suddenly, Mary Carroll's happy ass couldn't get up fast enough to change all of the ownership in their joint company to her. So we know that Mary Carroll can be motivated to act quickly on important matters, but only if it benefits her. According to Bellis, he was repeatedly told that payment was around the corner or that it would be made next week. But of course, payment was never made. Bellis later found out that at the time Bellum solicited him to move from Louisiana to California, the company was already way behind on payments to other Bellum employees. Clearly, Mary Carroll had no regard for Bellis and other employees like him who gave up so much for Bellum. Bellis filed a lawsuit against Mary Carroll, Bellum Entertainment, and McDonnell Bellum Holdings on October 25, 2017, for breach of contract, failure to pay wages, fraud, and violation of the labor code. On March 20, 2019, he was awarded a judgment of $574,800. And you guessed it, Bellis hasn't received any of the money Mary Carroll owes him. To add insult to injury, Bellis's legal bills to try to recoup what he was owed added up to thousands of dollars. And as a result of the deceitful employment opportunity to work for Bellum, Bellis found himself without a job and living in California 
where he didn't have many contacts. There are at least 20 other lawsuits filed by former employees that have ended with judgments awarded in their favor. The combined total amount of these judgments is well over $245,000, and that continues to grow as the interest on many of the cases continues accruing daily. That total includes a judgment in favor of writer-producer Kevin Berry, who we heard from in Episode 2. His judgment was handed down on November 17, 2020, for just over $20,000. And Karen Garber was also held liable in at least one other claim, filed by Dan Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh had been a director of photography for Bellum for nine days between May 16 and May 25 of 2017. He'd been promised $1,000 per day. And then he was terminated without ever being paid. He received a judgment for over $35,000. Mary Carroll and Karen Garber were found to be liable for just over $30,000 of that amount. In addition to former employees not being paid, there were several vendors as well as companies that Bellum partnered with to produce TV shows who never saw a dime for their work. On March 30th of 2016, American Computers and Engineers entered into a lease and usage agreement with Bellum for their computers and other electronic equipment. Bellum was to pay a monthly fee in exchange for using their equipment. But by September 18th of 2017, Bellum owed the company over $84,000. And even though American computers and engineers sent repeated requests for payments, no payments were ever made. And to top it off, when they demanded that all of their equipment be returned to them, Bellum simply refused and continued to use it without paying for it. On September 29, 2017, American Computers and Engineers filed a lawsuit against Bellum for breach of contract and for failing to return the equipment. On March 28, 2018, a judge determined that Bellum owed the company just under $113,000, which included damages, attorney fees, and other costs. This amount will continue to accrue interest until Mary Carroll pays what she owes, which very likely could be never. The line of people and companies with judgments against Mary Carroll and Bellum was growing fast. I wonder if the L.A. County Superior Court needed to dedicate a courtroom specifically for Mary Carroll cases in order to keep up with all of it. On December 7, 2017, Launchpad Entertainment filed a lawsuit against Bellum for breach of contract. Launchpad Entertainment is a company that specializes in user-generated content and connects creators and distributors around the world. Their video library has some of the most viral clips copied and shared on the internet today, according to their website. Launchpad and Bellum had entered into a clip license agreement on April 13, 2016, where Launchpad granted Bellum a non-exclusive license to edit, reproduce, incorporate, and otherwise use clips of footage from certain movies that Launchpad held the rights to. 
Starting around February of 2017, Bellum stopped paying the invoices and then refused to pay anything after written demand was sent, just like Bellum had done to so many other companies. The total amount due at the time of the lawsuit filing was $329,000. Launchpad served Bellum with a written demand for arbitration, but Bellum refused to arbitrate, even though it was part of their contract. In March of 2018, the same time that Mary Carroll and Barry Rothman had gotten millions of dollars from Bank of California, the courts granted a petition to compel arbitration. While the courts decided on arbitration, Launchpad and Bellum ended up entering into a settlement agreement that required Bellum to pay $275,000 within 15 days. And if you guess that Mary Carroll never paid anything toward that settlement, you'd be correct. In early April, Launchpad was contacted by Bellum's lawyer, Limor Kushner, who told them that the funds needed to pay the settlement had been sent to Barry Rothman. But Barry died on March 9th. Kushner told Launchpad that with Barry's death, the funds to pay them back were stuck in Barry's trust account. Months went by before Launchpad heard that Barry's estate was in the process of being handled and that there was an excess of $175,000 that had been deposited into Barry's trust account by Mary Carol McDonald. After hearing nothing more about it for weeks, on July 19, 2018, Launchpad was informed that Kushner was no longer representing Bellum, and there was no further information. By this time, Mary Carol had disappeared. Then, on July 23rd, Launchpad's lawyers attempted to call Bellum Entertainment, but the phone number had been disconnected. It's not clear whether Launchpad ever attempted to obtain the settlement money from Barry's estate. In the last episode, we talked about Color Time LLC, which was a post-production company that provided their services to Bellum. They had invoiced Bellum for several months of work for a total of over $187,000, but Bellum never paid them. Mary Carroll had told them that she intended to pay, she just needed more time. Color Time even made a $25,000 credit card payment on Mary Carroll's behalf while waiting for her to pay the outstanding invoices. On October 3, 2017, Color Time filed a lawsuit against Mary Carroll seeking no less than $217,689.49 for the invoices and the credit card payment plus $5,000 that Mary Carroll had promised to pay as part of the credit card agreement. Color Time was eventually awarded a $175,000 judgment in May of 2018. In Episodes 2 and 4, we talked about people who were lured into making investments into Mary Carroll's phony family trust. These people were her friends and colleagues, people who had no idea she was a habitual liar, 
and had no problem doing whatever it took to get her hands on their money. We've talked about Chris Chatham's arbitration award, but Mary Carroll had three additional investors that we know about, James Arnold, Theodore and Carrie Kuhlman, and Kirk and Alice Cannoli. James Arnold filed his lawsuit against Mary Carroll on May 14th of 2018. At some point over the years, Mary Carroll did make a total of $70,000 in payments to James, but she still owed him $530,000 plus $15,000 for a credit card payment that he made for her. After James filed a lawsuit against Mary Carroll, the two of them discussed the amount owed with interest and came to an agreement. Mary Carroll would pay James just over $1.1 million. The judgment was recognized by the court on November 14th of 2018. It's unclear whether Mary Carroll made any payments to James after that date. Theodore and Carrie Kuhlman filed their lawsuit against Mary Carroll in July of 2020, but they did things a bit differently than everyone else. The Kuhlmans filed their lawsuit in federal court. This was probably due to the fact that the Kuhlmans lived out of state, and they were alleging securities fraud, which is a federal offense. The Kuhlmans made numerous attempts to serve both Bellum and Mary Carroll. Bellum was served, but no response was received. But serving Mary Carroll proved difficult. She couldn't be served by traditional means because by that time, she had disappeared. So the court allowed the Kuhlmans to serve Mary Carroll via email because she had been responding to other court and legal messages that way. Mary Carroll never responded to the email, though it was delivered. On May 19th of 2021, the Kuhlmans filed for a default judgment against both Mary Carroll and Bellum for over $4 million. The court dismissed the Bellum portion of the lawsuit without prejudice, meaning they could refile the suit at a later date. Basically, the Kuhlmans needed to improve the evidence against Bellum in order to have that judgment against them granted. They haven't refiled as of the current date. The judgment against Mary Carroll, however, was granted for the full amount of $4,465,255.38. To my knowledge, Mary Carroll has yet to pay the Kuhlmans anything. Kirk and Alice Cannoli filed their lawsuit against Mary Carroll and Bellum on September 18th of 2017. They were seeking repayment of their investment of $250,000 plus late fees and interest. Two years later, they were granted a judgment of $400,435 for damages and costs. I'm fairly certain the Cannolis are still waiting for their money, just like everybody else. After this break, Mary Carroll tries to hang on to the Bellum Library of Shows, but she loses it 
right along with her morals and ethics, which to this day still have never been found. In addition to former employees and vendors, as well as colleagues and friends, there are lending institutions that Mary Carroll allegedly scammed out of millions. There's the $15 million she got from Bank of California, which Mary Carroll was indicted for by the U.S. Attorney's Office in December of 2018. Being out the $15 million, Bank of California took action by filing a lawsuit on December 24 of 2018. The bank's lawsuit was against Mary Carroll and three others, Northern Trust, Mel Clark, and Dion Naravian, the notary used by Mary Carroll on the allegedly fraudulent bank documents. Bank of California's case was dismissed against everyone except Mary Carroll. The court ordered a judgment against her for just over $17 million, which included the principal amount of over $13.6 million, plus interest and fees. Interest accrues until the judgment is satisfied, which means the amount Mary Carroll owes Bank of California is steadily rising to this date. Next in line is the credit junction, this was the loan obtained by Mary Carroll and Barry Rothman, allegedly working together with Northern Trust and Mel Clark, the loan that Mary Carroll essentially used as a template to get the loan from Bank of California. TCJ filed their lawsuit in March of 2018, along with a confession of judgment signed by Mary Carroll on behalf of herself, all of the Bellum entities, the Longneedle entities, BR Holding, and McDonnell Bellum Holdings. This basically meant that Mary Carroll acknowledged the promissory notes and agreements she had made at the time of the loan and agreed to the amount she owed. She wasn't contesting it. The judgment amount was just under $13.5 million, with a partial satisfaction of payment of $5 million also applied to that total. Remember, after Mary Carroll got the money from Bank of California, she immediately paid $5 million to TCJ to apparently release Northern Trust from their liabilities related to the TCJ loan. How nice of her. The judgment and partial payment were filed on April 18th of 2018. As TCJ attempted to collect what was owed to them, they requested a bunch of information from Mary Carroll related to the Bellum Library. In fact, she was ordered to turn over the library of TV shows to TCJ so that they could have it valued and then sell it. Mary Carroll refused, and she even wrote a long reply as to why she couldn't turn the library over. She wrote her response, supposedly from Dubai, on May 20th, 2019, over a year after the judgment was handed down. Mary Carroll claimed that Bellum was, quote, essentially moribund due to lack of funding, and production has stopped. She went on to say there were no employees who could deal with gathering and cataloging the Bellum library. 
She said that only she could do it, and she was in Dubai, although not permanently. She said she'd return after her business was finished. Mary Carroll said that even if she could turn over the TV library, Bellum needed access to it in order to continue fulfilling customer orders. Sounds like Bellum may not have been producing shows anymore, but she was still selling the content that Bellum already had, which generated royalty payments. Mary Carroll claimed that TCJ had been paid over $1 million for royalties already, essentially saying, if you want money, I need to retain the Bellum Library, which is a terrible argument. TCJ could sell off the library for tens of millions more by Mary Carroll's own estimations. Mary Carroll also said the Bellum Library had to remain intact because Bellum employees and vendors who'd won lawsuits against her had a claim to the library before TCJ. But Mary Carroll's antics didn't work. On June 3rd of 2019, the court ordered her to turn over the entire Bellum library. Eventually, TCJ was able to get possession of the Bellum Media Library and planned to auction it off on August 15th in Santa Monica, California. It's unclear exactly what happened, but by August 29th, it wouldn't really matter because a public UCC Article 9 auction notice was posted relating to the Credit Junction Holdings, Inc. This meant that another party was foreclosing on TCJ. Apparently, TCJ used its loans to Mary Carroll and others to secure money from lenders for itself. One such lender was Midcap Financial Trust, who held liens against TCJ. Because several debtors failed to pay TCJ, including Mary Carroll, TCJ went under. The collateral listed up for auction were several non-performing commercial loans, as well as, quote, a film and media library relating to programs and episodes across various genres, such as educational and informational, and crime and thriller. It also stated the library had been collateral for a non-performing loan owned by TCJ. No doubt, they were referring to Bellum Entertainment. TCJ ceased operations in 2019. In addition to California lawsuits, there were at least two cases that were filed in New York based on the operating location of the lending companies. Yes Funding Services and Reliable Fast Cash. Yes Funding filed their lawsuit on August 30, 2017, along with a confession of judgment from Mary Carroll for the original loan amount of $74,950. Yes Funding was requesting a judgment for the loan, minus any payments Mary Carroll may have made. If you recall, Mary Carroll also entered into a merchant agreement with Ironwood Finance in June of 2017 for the exact amount of the Yes Funding loan. Mary Carroll used those funds to pay $63,557 of the loan, which left a balance of $11,393. Yes Funding was requesting that balance plus interest be awarded to them. The court ordered a judgment against Mary Carroll for $14,617.95. And just when I thought that Mary Carroll couldn't be any more reprehensible, she stoops to a whole new low. 
Reliable Fast Cash filed their lawsuit on August 4th of 2017, with a sister state filing in California as well. The defendants were listed as Mary Carroll, Sean and Mackenzie Carroll, 1228 Media Group, All the Bellum Entities, Longneedle, and several more of Mary Carroll's LLCs. It was filed along with the confessions of judgment that Mary Carroll had signed at the time of each merchant agreement she made with Reliable Fast Cash between March and August of 2017. There was also a merchant agreement and a confession of judgment that was signed by Sean and Mackenzie Carroll in addition to Mary Carroll. Plus, there was also a separate confession signed by Mary Carroll, Sean, and Mackenzie, dated August 7th, which stated they were responsible for all of the outstanding debt that was due to reliable fast cash. This confession was entered into court on September 13th of 2017. With that, the court handed down their judgment that same day. Mary Carroll, Sean, and Mackenzie were ordered to pay reliable fast cash a total of just over $3.3 million, which included interest and fees. Since Mary Carroll clearly was not going to pay, that left Sean and Mackenzie, her own children, holding the bag. Sean and Mackenzie filed several motions in California, claiming that they never signed any merchant agreements or confessions of judgment they claimed they were completely unaware that there was ever a court action against them, let alone a judgment issued against them individually. They alleged that their signatures had been forged by their own mother. As proof of her intentions, Sean and Mackenzie's lawyer presented the fact that Mary Carroll filed a document waiving her right to certain civil procedures. It stated that she had the legal authority to act on behalf of the other defendants, including Sean and Mackenzie, with respect to the lawsuit. The document was initiated by Reliable Fast Cash, allegedly in an attempt to secure a judgment in California by eliminating the need for consent from Sean and Mackenzie. However, the document didn't offer any proof that Mary Carroll had the authority to act on her son's behalf. This lawsuit went on for several years. Finally, in June of 2019, a certified document examiner who had years of experience testifying as an expert was brought in to compare all the signatures. The expert meticulously compared known signatures from Sean and Mackenzie to those found on the confessions and merchant agreement in question. The expert analyzed 66 signatures and 11 sets of initials from Sean, and 65 signatures and 11 sets of initials from Mackenzie, and then compared those to the documents in question. The expert concluded, with a reasonable degree of certainty, that the signatures and initials on the documents in question were not made by Sean or Mackenzie and the evidence to support that conclusion was significant. Since we know that Mary Carroll was present during the signing of the original merchant agreements, and we know her track record with honesty and signatures, it's reasonable to believe that Mary Carroll forged the signatures of her own children. Not only on the merchant agreement, but then again on a confession which made them liable for the debt. 
And it's very interesting to note that the confession supposedly signed by Mary Carroll, Sean, and Mackenzie that was entered into court on September 13, 2017, was notarized by Dion Naravian. This is the same notary used by Mary Carroll to obtain the Bank of California loan. Naravian admitted during the Bank of California trial that he notarized a document for Mary Carroll that had Mel Clark's signature when Mel Clark was not actually present. And Mel Clark's signature was already on the documents when Mary Carroll presented them to Naravian, which completely goes against the entire reason signatures are notarized in the first place. A notary is verifying that they actually witnessed someone's signature on a document. Knowing that Naravian had done these favors for Mary Carroll in the past, it seems totally plausible that he did it again with Sean and Mackenzie's signatures. Reliable Fast Cash stipulated that the signatures were in fact forged, and the judgment against Sean and Mackenzie was vacated on March 5th of 2020. According to a source, it took Sean and Mackenzie years to undo the financial mess their mother put them through. They have only recently been able to move on with their lives, free of lawsuits and free of Mary Carroll, who at one point, before all of this mess, they were very proud of. There are dozens of other lawsuits against Mary Carroll that we haven't talked about. Many were dismissed without prejudice and can be refiled, so there's a chance that the amount of judgments against Mary Carroll could significantly rise over the years. As it stands now, with what we know so far, there's been over $48 million awarded to the victims of Mary Carroll's scams. There are a lot of people and entities that are owed a lot of money, which has resulted in victims fighting against other victims, arguing over who should be paid first. And the credit junction holds the winning ticket on that one, or whichever company bought TCJ's debt after their foreclosure. Everything is based on who filed a UCC statement with the Secretary of State first. Once that person or entity recoups their money, then the next in line gets theirs, and that continues on and on down that winding and seemingly never-ending line until everyone gets paid. Theoretically, of course. You might be surprised to find out that even Barry Rothman was held accountable for his part in the Bank of California fraud. Well, somewhat. Since Mary Carroll sure wasn't paying up, Bank of California went after Barry's estate after he died. Barry's fiance, Aza Yalonska, was made the executor of Barry's estate, and she actually filed a lawsuit against Bank of California on June 29, 2018, alleging elder abuse because the bank automatically took funds from Barry's Bank of California accounts to pay on a defaulted loan. Aza was claiming that this was abusive to Barry's estate. 
So because Barry was a senior citizen, Bank of California should not have collected what they were owed? That argument doesn't make a lot of sense. Bank of California found Oz's argument to be absurd and filed a cross-complaint on August 10th, alleging intentional misrepresentation and fraud. Bank of California had a lot more to say about the matter than Oza did, that's for sure. Bank of California claimed that Barry conducted financial affairs through his alter ego, Alibar LLC. Alibar had no employees and was just a shell company to push money through, in the same way that Mary Carroll had used her alter ego, 1228 Media. After Barry died, all of his personal property and assets were transferred to the Barry K. Rothman Revocable Trust, dated February 8, 2012, and Aza became the trustee of that account. Barry and Alibar had several deposit accounts with Bank of California, which were opened in March of 2017. In September of 2017, the bank loaned Barry and Alibar $250,000, which was secured by the balance in all of the Alibar accounts, as well as all of Barry's personal property. When Barry died, he owed $252,621 to the bank. At that time, his deposit accounts held more than $800,000. With Barry dead, no payment was made on the outstanding loan, which constituted a default. On April 18, 2018, Bank of California declared the loan in default and moved for immediate payment. As was permitted according to the loan agreement, Bank of California automatically took the amount due from Barry's accounts because the bank had a security interest in the funds. This left a balance in Barry's accounts of over $580,000. As part of the cross-complaint, Bank of California stated that due to Barry's involvement in the scam with Mary Carroll, which caused the bank to lose $13.6 million, they should be able to take the remaining balance in Barry's accounts to offset their losses. In addition, they would be seeking the rest of the $13.6 million from Barry's estate. On July 29, 2019, the court approved a settlement agreement between Bank of California and AZA as trustee of Barry's trust account. Bank of California settled for a mere $550,000. At least it's something. Hardly anyone else can say they've gotten paid after Mary Carroll hustled them. Small victory for Bank of California. Emphasis on small. Through interviews, I've learned a lot of new and interesting bits of information that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Since launching this podcast, I continue to be contacted regularly by people who have their own stories about Mary Carol McDonald. You're going to hear from these people in upcoming episodes. At this point, you're probably wondering, what happens now? Mary Carol has been indicted on six federal charges She's been ordered to pay back tens of millions of dollars. She's made her bed and now she's laying in it. But with all the money she got her hands on before she disappeared, that bed might just be a California king-size Tempur-Pedic bed with five-star hotel lush bedding. While I can't say how Mary Carol is living right about now, I can say that so many people I've spoken with 
really hope that she'll be sleeping on a prison bed in the very near future. Her callous and greedy actions have wreaked havoc on so many people's lives, and they'd like to see her be held accountable for that. As a few debts are slowly being repaid by royalties coming in from old Bellum shows or from other people like Karen Garber, who've been held liable for portions of the debt, questions remain. How many of these victims will ever be made whole? Will Mary Carroll ever be found and held to answer for her indictment? Is she even being actively pursued? And were those pies really homemade? Next time on Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime. Surprise! I might have been hoodwinked by Mary Carroll, according to a source who reached out to me recently. As it turns out, those pies may not have been homemade after all. Damn it, is there anything this woman tells the truth about? But more important than the pies, we've uncovered information that tells us the phony heiress might be currently involved with a company whose CEO is an ex-lawyer, who's been disbarred for trust violations and misappropriation of funds. Mary Carroll really knows how to pick them. If you have a suggestion for a case that we should cover in season two of Dirty Money Moves, please go to Murderish.com and send us a message. Or you can send us a direct message on Instagram at Dirty Money Moves. If you know of a case involving a woman who committed white-collar crimes or scams, we want to hear all about it, and we might even cover it on the podcast. Let us know at Murderish.com or send us a DM on Instagram at Dirty Money Moves. Also, if you have information to share regarding our current case involving Mary Carol McDonnell, please reach out to us in the ways I mentioned earlier. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Matt Provenzano does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music. Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art, and the podcast is co-produced by Cloud10 Media. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And if you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us five stars at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now, because even four stars is not good enough for the heiress. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week for a brand new episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.